Hey, it's Chris Voth here. You're listening to Level Playing Field. Welcome and thank you for listening to another episode of Level Playing Field. My name is Randy Boos, and this is my podcast where I interview LGBTQ sports personalities. Before we get to my next guest, Chris Voth, I wanted to do some podcast business. I still hate intros on podcasts, but realize I need to do a better job at mine while still keeping them brief. The first order of business is a huge thank you to those people following me on social media, listening each week and sharing on and offline. I started this podcast officially on Friday, March 8th with my first interview, and by the time the weekend was done, I had completed my first five episodes. This episode with Chris is my last I recorded on the weekend. By the time that came, I was already more comfortable and used to being in front of a mic. Since editing and posting these, I have learned even more. As I continue to grow as an interviewer, I hope you have some patience and continue to listen each week to the stories of these out people. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes, on Google, or any other way you get your podcasts each week. Ratings and reviews are the basic way I can advertise and share my podcast and grow my audience. If you have not done so already, please also follow me on my socials. You can find me at LPFPod on Twitter and Instagram. Once again, that's LPFPod. You can also email me at levelplainfieldpod at gmail.com or DM me on my socials if you have any questions, comments, or you are a sports personality and you want to be on the show, reach out to me, please. Finally, on to this episode. I had a great chat with Chris Voth a few weeks back where we talk about coming out, growing up in Canada, we talk about volleyball, uh, we talk about being part of Pride events in Canada and overseas. I hope you enjoy this podcast, and without further delay... Here is Chris Voth. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for uh, coming on to Level Playing Field. Yeah, thanks for having me. Definitely. So, Chris, where were you born? In Winnipeg, Manitoba. Home of the Jets. That's right. <laughs> what are your parents' names? Uh, Lloyd Voth and Valerie Voth. And do you have siblings? I do. I have an older sister, Ashley. What is your earliest memory? Just at all. At all. That's tough. I, when I was younger, we lived on Bringantine Bay, and my next-door neighbor, Brett, was my best friend, and we had a little fort in front of his house between evergreen trees and his house, and we'd always just kind of hide out there and play random games. So that might be my earliest memory. All right. What was it like? Because obviously, so you didn't live in Winnipeg, but you lived in the outskirts of it, I take it? Uh, no, it was in Winnipeg. Oh, okay. Winnipeg's uh, a decent-sized town, too. Yeah, it's it's pretty spread out, like not super dense, I think, compared to other uh, cities, especially the ones I live in now <laughs> in Europe. Yeah, it's it's pretty big now. I think it's around 800,000 people. All right. Good size. Yeah. What was it like growing up there? I really liked it. I I think uh, something I took for granted is how sunny it is in Winnipeg. Um, even like in this, we have beautiful summers. And in the winters, even though it gets really cold, it's still quite sunny. So then a couple of years ago, I played in Finland in the super northern part. And we'd get down to a couple minutes of sunlight a day. And that was a bit tougher than I thought because I'm so used to being in, in a sunny place. That makes sense. And then because you wouldn't be there in the summertime, right? You're just there during the winter and spring? Um, overseas or in Winnipeg now? Over, overseas. Yeah, I'm usually, and usually too, during the summers, I would come back to Canada and play with the national team, but I've retired from that now. So I'm just playing overseas in kind of the winter, fall, in, in those months. Yeah. Was volleyball your your only sport, or did you play other sports as well? I grew up playing badminton, actually. That was my major sport. And uh, then I guess with school and everything, um, I played all I played basketball and track and field and cross country. Um, but then both my parents are were volleyball. Uh, players themselves and they both coached it so then I would play volleyball but I was still more focused on badminton and then it came to a point where I had to choose between one or the other and so I went with volleyball because it's a bit more social and I was 
having a bit more success at it. So um, I just enjoyed it more, I guess. And all my friends were, were volleyball players too. So it was just kind of the natural choice, I think. And then your sister plays volleyball too, right? Yeah, she does. She was, I think, one of the youngest to ever make the senior national team. And she still holds records in the uh, in the CIS or now U Sports um, over her career playing there. So it's she was a quite impressive player, actually. Tell me how like do you play organized volleyball at starting in high school or is it club level before? Yeah, there's club before and school even before that. Uh, but now it goes even younger. So I think club starts at maybe twelve and under or under twelve. And then uh, you can play every year up until you're 18. Before it used to be 14 and under, and then you could play up to U21. And that was like the junior teams that you would play. So normally it would be maybe your university has a junior team, but they've since stopped doing that. So now it stops at 18. And then um, it goes all year round. So you can play for your school and then for club and then the provincial or national team and then beach. And then it just keeps starting over each year. When does being gay become, does it ever cross over into volleyball as a um, club level kid or in high school? It wasn't for me. I didn't really discover my sexuality until later on. I might have been 16 or 17. And so it really didn't impact my earlier years at all. I didn't really think about it. Um, but then later on, it was a little bit of an issue because I didn't uh, feel comfortable telling my friends who are also my teammates because it was two birds with one stone, you know? So if, if my friends then didn't accept me, then my teammates wouldn't accept me, and then that would have a greater impact than if I could just have them separated. But um, it ended up working out really well because I was able to come out to them, and then it made both worlds good you know so yeah it didn't play too much of an issue i don't think earlier on how was um, how was high school volleyball for you it was just good. in general yeah it was fun my dad was my coach um for in grade nine i played on the jv team and he coached me with that and then the next year i played varsity and he still coached jv but it was fun playing with uh, with older guys at a higher level. And then he, co- he was my coach for the next two years of varsity after that. And we won actually both those years, provincials. So um, it was a pretty successful kind of run. And our school was predominantly known for football and rugby. But we kind of changed that that culture a little bit. And now volleyball is a bit more of a major sport at the school. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. How did you decide to take volleyball to the next level, moving into college? Was it just, obviously, you were good at it, so yeah, colleges just came looking? Yeah, it's just kind of like a natural progression, really. So going from uh, school or club into university, like you get scouted, but I already was playing at the University of Manitoba for a couple of years, just kind of training with the guys, and I played club out of the university. So I knew the coach really well because his son played on our team as well and he coached our team. So it was just kind of a natural progression to go on that. And then from there, if you're successful, you're able to keep playing during the summers, maybe on the national team or in beach. And then it just keeps going. So after university, then I'm like, well, okay, what do we do now? Went to the full-time center for a year. Um, and trained with uh, the national team coaches. And then after that, I wanted to try the professional life. So then I got an agent and got a team out in the Netherlands. And then, yeah, just kept going after that. (laughs) (laughs) When you start to come to terms with sexuality, does it start to weigh on you more in sport and in life with family and just life in general? Does it make things harder for you? It did initially. Um, and this because, is before you come out. Right, yeah. I noticed before I came out that I was getting frustrated a lot and getting angry just at the fact, just like 
frustrated that I couldn't be myself or having to lie all the time about things. And so then it kind of hurt my relationship with my parents and with my friends, I think, a little bit. And so this that, is still in high school? Uh, in high school in and at the beginning of, of university as well. Because um, I came out, I think, in my second year. And my first year of university was okay, but my second year was, was not a very great year for my playing. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to my mental well-being. It wasn't great. And so I just figured I needed to make a change because I wasn't going in a very good direction. Did you ever reach out and talk to someone or did you not have anyone that you can go to? I didn't really know who I could talk to. And so um, one of my friends actually from high school came out to me and then just kind of somewhat randomly. And then I came out to him at the exact same time. I was like, wow, this is so crazy. And then we actually kind of saw each other for a bit, but it was more so just we were the only ones that we told. So they brought our friendship to the next level, you know? Um, and then after that, I spoke to a, a counselor a little bit who I knew from high school and she just, you know, made sure I was doing okay and kind of allowed me to feel comfortable to talk about it a little bit. And then it wasn't too long after that, that I was able to start coming out to my, some of my closest friends. Did you find your friends pretty accepting of it? Yeah, yeah, they were. I can remember how and when I told each of them, though, because it was such a scary experience and just so foreign and weird, you know? Like, it's something that you don't think you'd ever have to to tell someone. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's kind of a weird thing to have to do, you know? Yeah. When you think about it now. But then it was just terrifying and I each time I didn't know what was going to happen how they were going to react how I was going to tell them you know like it just everything seems difficult so it was yeah it was pretty crazy after you tell each person did you find just a feeling of almost like euphoric but just like you feel excited a little bit you feel a little less pressure for sure yeah I could I could feel the weight being lifted off my shoulders. Like it was, I know that's an expression, but I could actually feel that. <laughs> no, and I, I so, totally so much understand. So, yeah, and so much so that one time I went, once I started coming out to my teammates a little bit, I felt so much better. We came back after a break at, at Christmas and we started playing again. And they're like, geez, man, what did you do during the break? Are you on steroids or something? Like you're just... <laughs> like jumping high and hammering the ball. And I was like, yeah, this is crazy. Like even myself, I was like, this is so weird. Like I was just playing more free and I just felt like a whole new man, you know? So it was a, it was really cool to, to feel that and just being happy again and being able to just play without any restrictions. What, by then does your whole team know, or is it just still a select few? Uh, at that point, it was a select few, but all it takes is just a, a little leak and then the floodway opens up, you know? So it went a little bit quicker than I was hoping after the first little bit, because then someone tells someone and someone else tells someone and then everybody knows. Oh, yeah. But um, I was nervous to kind of share that with my parents. And my coach is really close with my parents. And so I didn't want to, you know, have to worry about that. So I just tried to not really tell any authoritative figure because I figured then it would kind of get back to my parents. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Do you end up telling your sister first or your parents or all three at the same time? I told my sister first. Um, and that was because I knew... Kind of needed her to help me lie a little bit <laughs> for where my my whereabouts, but I told her first, and that was that was pretty tough. But she, you know, she helped me, and she's an awesome person. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad that our relationship is uh, at the point where I could share that with her pretty uh, pretty openly. Yeah, that's an awesome thing to have. 
So how do you end up finally telling your parents? It was when I left to go play with the full-time center in with the national team. Uh, I left a note because I was driving there with one of my teammates. And so I, I wrote a letter and then hid it. And then once I arrived in Gatineau, I told them where the letter was. And just that way I could say what I needed to say. And I didn't have to gather the courage at that exact instant that I was going to tell them. I could just take my time to write the letter and think about what I wanted to say. And then um, I didn't want to tell them right when I left because I was driving and I didn't want um, to have to think about that the whole time. So I just was like, hey, no problem. And then if I change my mind, I can just not tell them about it. But then I arrived in Gatineau and then told them about the letter and uh, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> so are you on the phone with them when they read it or you just say, go find it and talk to me later? Uh, I just sent them a message about where it was and then just left it at that because I didn't want to have to deal with, <laughs> with that. <laughs> what were your fears with them finding out with you telling them? I don't know, really. I think it's the fear of the unknown, maybe a little bit. But for example, um, they switched churches. And one of the major reasons for the church change was because our old church started to allow same-sex marriage. And so that was a bit of a hit. And they've said that that's not the reason why they changed churches. They just were stuck with the same pastor who switched and the same, most of the, the congregation also switched. So I can kind of see that. But at the time, it was the fact that ours starting to allow same-sex marriage. And so, and I didn't want to ask them about it because I figured that would bring up more red flags. And so I just didn't ask and didn't want to tell. <laughs> so I... I don't know. I, and it's not that I'm not close to my parents. Like, I think I'm actually quite close to my parents, but I just didn't know how they would react. And I, I just didn't feel comfortable telling them. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, they're people you look up to your whole life. You don't want to hurt them. You don't want to disappoint them, but you are yeah. who you are. Yeah, exactly. How did it go once they first talked to you? Uh, it was okay. I think I think it was a bit of a shock for them and maybe more so that they were hurt a little that I didn't feel comfortable telling them but now it's it's really good I think they're you know we've talked about it uh, quite a few times now and they're a bit more aware on the on the topic and kind of the struggles that people go through and both of them being teachers I think that's really important so then if students do come out to them or they have to handle a situation at school or something, then they're, you know, a bit more educated on that subject. So I think that's, that's a really positive thing. That's really cool. That's a good point. Hopefully they, they are able to use that to help other kids if they ever do get that. Yeah. One of the things I read about you was uh, when you came out in college, the, um, how that effect affected the locker room in a positive way. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, well, it was, it's, yeah, it was positive and also a little uncomfortable sometimes. Some people did tell me that they felt uncomfortable in the change room with me, but when I talked to them about it, I'm like, well, nothing's really changed, you know? So I, we're still friends. I don't understand, like it, it doesn't make sense really. Um, but it was a, a bit of a transition period for some people, but then what was, what was nice is people were more aware of the language that they were using, you know, a really common was, oh, that's so gay. And then before I would just hear that and be like, okay, well, I guess that's not a great term to use for meaning something's bad. Um, but now people were more aware of their language that they're using. And so the language actually was able to improve. And then I could also help people with that. So if they said something, then I could be like, hey, like, come on. And then, oh, yeah, okay, sorry. And then next time they're able to, to make the adjustment, you know. So that was nice uh, that it was able to improve it. And I think also that helped them outside of the locker room, too, where they were kind of more aware of the language that they were using just in 
in public life. Well, yeah, and it opens a dialogue too for the the guys that come to you privately. For sure. Talk about yeah. being uncomfortable. It still opens it up and it makes it better for them in the long run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you finish college, you move on to the national team. What was it like being a part of the Canadian national team? It was amazing. I, uh, I grew up playing on the youth team, on the junior team, on the B team. And so I was, had been on the, on the team before. Um, but this was now doing it for a whole year of just training. And there was a couple tournaments that we went to, one in Mexico and one in France. But it was a lot of training and a lot of tired, dark, late nights just in the gym, just wishing that I wasn't playing anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it was awesome. Like, I learned so much and was had a great group of guys there, too, just kind of grinding away with me. And yeah, it ended up being a super positive experience. And then what was really cool is a couple of years later, I w- when I went back to the full-time center, then I was able to kind of go through that same process again and then help those guys with all the stuff that I learned when I was there, you know? And then that really solidifies the, the skill that I learned the first time. And then I felt that I improved like tenfold that second time through because I had a much better understanding of why you do things and why certain things that the coach says are really important that's cool one thing that i um i really admire about from what i hear about the canadian national teams the canadian olympic teams is there seems to be more of a um almost like a family feel to it i don't know if it's just the size uh, population wise of canada or or what but compared to the u.s team where it's more of a corporate feel and Maybe it's how funding happens, or I don't know. But did you notice right. the the family feel when For you were on sure, the national yeah. team? Yeah, I think too. Like a lot of the guys, we play together as we grow up, and so you you go back to your own provinces, play on your clubs, universities against each other. But then, you know, you always come back together during the summers, and you train together, and you learn the systems together, and then you just kind of keep growing up and playing on the higher level teams and keep moving up, moving up, moving up, and then next thing you know, you're on the World League roster and on the Olympic roster, and then, yeah, it's just the guys that you've been playing with your whole life, you know, so you know each other really well, and there's always a a good connection. Most people have gone through the full-time center, so they have that kind of shared experience and same knowledge base. And yeah, everyone's there for the same reason. So I think that's, it's a pretty special thing to be a part of. You said you went to tournaments in Mexico and France. How, how were they? Was it exciting to play for It was, country? yeah. Like I had been, uh, I traveled with the national team a couple other times as well for like FISU games or just for exhibition stuff around the world. But what was cool about this now is we had some older guys on the team uh, too, when we went to Mexico and there, we played against a lot of different styles. So some of the, I, I can't remember, I think it was Dominican Republic had a couple guys that were quite different from what we've normally played against. And that was kind of a bit of an eye opener. Um, and we didn't do that well in the tournament, but it was pretty early in our training. And so it was nice to kind of get a progress support and just see where we were at. And then at the end of our, the end of the season, kind of more in the spring, we went down to France and played against some of the pro teams. And that was a really, really great experience because that's the first time that I've played against professional teams and gotten to see, you know, the facilities there and kind of how those teams operate. Um, normally I'd just play against other national teams, but now it was professional teams. So it was kind of cool to see where I stack up in the, in the pro leagues. Before you go international yourself, you came up with the prejudice without pride beach volleyball tournament. Is that, is that about the right time? Yeah. Um, that was just. There's, I don't know, there's a bunch of, of events going on around Winnipeg um, that have to do with, you know, providing a safe space for the LGBT2SQ plus community. 
and um, I wanted to try running a beach tournament. So I did that for two years. And then after that, it didn't become as successful as, as I was hoping. So um, I put my efforts towards uh, running a beach tournament for one of my friends who passed away. And then it raises money for a scholarship in his name. But then I also took over the organization that kind of oversees or is the umbrella for all the sport and recreation activities in Winnipeg for the LGBT2SQ plus community. So now I'm the, the chair of Out There Winnipeg. And we have maybe 14 activities that go throughout the year. Um, and so then it's a bit wider of a reach, you know, and I'm able to, I think, have a bigger impact than just the one beach tournament. How involved are you in running of the organization? Well, as of right now, I do most of the things because we just had a lot of people say that they don't have enough time anymore, so they had to quit. Um, but then it's all volunteer run. So it's, you know, people are working their jobs, maybe two jobs, and they have to volunteer after. So then it's kind of a tough time commitment. Um, but for me, I'm sending out the newsletters, updating the website, running the social media accounts, uh, organizing all the, the finances of the organization, getting all the committees together for maybe Pride or the Pride Mart or, you know, those types of things, um, running the, the board meetings <laughs> and they have to Skype me in. Uh, so most things I'm doing right now, but of course, all the coordinators do a really nice job of sending me the material and all the information so that I can keep that all organized, you know? That is some crazy dedication. <laughs> I commend <laughs> yeah, you thanks. for that. Yeah, thanks. It was, the, it was this organization that was running the drop-in volleyball league that I went to for my first time and really made me feel uh, like got me out of my shell and was the first time that I was out in the community and able to meet other other people. Um, and so I saw a real benefit to that. And so I wanted to to try and keep this organization alive because it was dwindling and almost folded a couple of years ago. But I've been able to turn that around a little bit and now uh, we're on the rise. So it's um, I think it's really important for, for Winnipeg to have. And uh, that's why I put so much effort into it. That's cool. Yeah. One of the reasons why I do this podcast is I, I want young kids to know that there's people out there that support them. Um, and I, what you do with, with the organization is, is amazing. It will help so many people, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks. I hope so. So while you do that, you decide to start playing international. What is the driving force for you in doing that, making the move overseas? Well, there's a couple of reasons now. Um, of course, the initial reason why I want to do it is just because it was a dream to be able to play volleyball as a living. You know, like it's it's so cool to be able to just do what you love and get paid for it. So that's still mind blowing to me that I can do exactly what I want and then it pays the rent, you know, Um but now, of course, another part of my my mission is to kind of pave the way for the next generation. I've gone up against a couple of roadblocks while playing and uh, just trying to break down those barriers and and show people that you can be out and still play professionally, um, especially on a team sport and that it's, you know, it's possible and you just got to go out there and do it. Yeah, yeah, I was reading in what it was it 2016 that you were talking about a contract with someone and the team backed out. Yeah, yeah, 2016, uh, 2016, 2017 was that season. Yeah. How do you cope with that? I mean, it, it's probably one of your first. Was it one of your first big setbacks being out? For sure. Yeah. Um, it was. A pretty big hit because I was hoping that by being out, people they would the teams or the scouts would see that I was really trying to be a leader, and they would see that as a positive quality. But in this case, it backfired. Obviously, they didn't want a gay player on their team, and so uh, they canceled the contract. And then 
it was pretty late in the summer also. So then it set me back and I wasn't able to find a team. And then that's when I went back to the full-time center for the second year uh, and trained for a few months before eventually going out to Finland. But I was talking to my agent about it and he said um, that it's a, it's a unique thing when he's representing me personally that teams will be super interested one day and then the next day just zero communication and they just don't answer emails, nothing. And so he thinks that it's because of that. But then for this one team specifically, that was they actually gave the reason. So then oh, we didn't wow. have to guess anymore. And uh, yeah, I, it was a nice opportunity to kind of bring up the, the issue of, of it, though, um, which I think is a really positive thing because people just assume that these athletes come out and then it's no problem anymore. But it's still we haven't achieved our goal yet. You know, there's still work to be done. And so it, it gave me the opportunity to kind of address that uh, once again. So that was kind of a positive of that happening. That's cool that you can see it as a positive. Um, I think it's healthy. It's funny because I started this little show and I've talked to Sid and Eric Radford and uh, Tom and a couple of conversations I've talked about coming out and how a lot of people are finding out that not that you're making more money, but there's more opportunities for you. So this is the first time to hear that there was actually a setback. Now, I do mm -hmm. wonder if it happened now. Um, just, I think, in the last four or five years, out athletes, while not in the major sports, in the lesser, you know, like with you at volleyball and the Olympic sports, it seems like it's more accepting. Yeah, I think so. Um, you do see more athletes coming out. Something, though, that was um, a bit of an issue in Rio, and I wrote an article about it, was the difference between men and women that came out. It was a much higher percentage um, of women came out, and then about half of those out women were uh, on team sports. And for men, it was a very small amount that came out. And the ones that did were all individual sports. So even though there were athletes out, the male team sports were still very underrepresented. And I think that that still shows that there's some sort of issue or something else going on in the sport culture that still needs to kind of be addressed and still improved. Oh, totally. I mean, you're, and you're right on. I mean, women's soccer is a big one where out athletes are common um yeah and it's accepted you know the u.s athletes like megan uh rapino and abby wambach athletes like that that come out and their careers continue their revenue from advertising grows so yeah you don't see that on the men's side yeah for sure so your first team overseas was finland correct uh, first team was Netherlands. Oh, Netherlands first. Yeah. I played there for two years and then it was when I was trying to make the, the jump into a higher league. Um, that's when I kind of had my setback, but then I went and played in Finland and then last year I was in Czech Republic. And then this year I came back to the Netherlands just to play with all my friends <laughs> that, mm -hmm. Um, I made when I was uh, here for two years, and it's a, a really nice community, volleyball community. So just came back to be happy and, you know, kind of enjoy life as well as volleyball. Do you see a difference between the, the European cities that you've been in without athletes or LGBT people in general? Finland is a small country. Um, Netherlands obviously is more open and and a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, was was there a culture shock with that? Uh, my first year in Netherlands, I was really nervous because I didn't know what was going to happen if I had to come out to my team, if they knew how they would react to it, and it was as well as the nerves of being on, at your first pro team, you know. So um, it just kind of magnified my nervousness and of not knowing really anything that was going to happen. I didn't know. <laughs> I think 
it's natural that you're going to be nervous for your first pro team. And then I also had this other huge kind of issue that I thought was going to be an issue. Um, so that was really scary. But Netherlands is one of the most kind of liberal countries, I think. I think they're the first country to legalize same-sex marriage. And then when I came here too, they, I asked some of them and they're like, yeah, that's like not even a story here. Like, I don't even think they would, they would print that in the newspaper that you're gay because it just doesn't, doesn't matter. And I'm like, wow, that's, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, like, Perfect. it's just not even a story. So, um, and I think that's why I enjoy it so much here is that the people are just so welcoming and so friendly. And yeah, I just, I really just love it here. So that's why I came back. Um, playing in Finland, they just legalized same-sex marriage the year I was there, uh, which was pretty cool. And they had an Arctic Pride, which was in maybe January or February. And uh, it was the Arctic Pride of Finland. And so uh, people came up from kind of Helsinki and, you know, the South. They came up for this. And it was a really cool experience. We had our our whole volleyball team walk in the parade, making us the first pro volleyball team to walk in a pride parade. How did that um, happen? Well, they they reached out to me saying, hey, do you want to, you know, walk in the parade with us and give a speech? And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Like, perfect. And then uh, I was like, can I bring my team? And they're like, yeah, do it. So then I asked the team and it was all positive reviews. Like, yeah, this will be so great. Like, let's do it. And I wasn't sure because Finland's borders Russia and a lot of the guys had, uh, well, at least the, the Finnish guys have never met a, a gay man before. And so, you know, it's kind of a new experience for them. And yeah, so I was kind of nervous to get their reaction, but it was really positive when we got some, some nice publicity from it for the club. And so it was a really positive experience. I, and I think they really enjoyed it. It was a fun atmosphere and maybe a little cold, but um it being you know in the arctic <laughs> but yeah uh it was it was a really fun day and uh yeah i'm used to I had... pride events being in like june july august <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and this kind of felt had the the feel more of a march and not a parade but it was also kind of a small town and in the middle of the day so maybe that was a reason for that but uh yeah, it was it was fun. And it's the official home of Santa Claus, right? It is the official home of Santa Claus. So that was a bonus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I went to go see Santa. Uh, I went to Santa's village twice, and I saw Santa once. Um, but my favorite part of living there were the northern lights. Because the... The activity there is really strong because it's so close to the, like, we're above the Arctic Circle. Um, so anytime the, the sky was clear, you could probably see Northern Lights. And that uh, was yeah. pretty amazing. That's one thing I want to see, for sure. Yeah. yeah. How long do you think you'll be playing professional volleyball? Uh, that's a good question. I do not know the answer. I, if you would have asked me last year, I would have said that last year was my last year. And at the beginning of this year, I probably would have said that this year was my last year. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just such an amazing lifestyle and so much fun to, to go to war every day with your, your best friends um, that I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully my body can can hold up. I've had a few issues the last couple of years, but it's just it's just so much fun to do it that I don't know um when that's when that day is going to come. <laughs> Why do you think there's been no professional volleyball in the US or Canada? Well, at least women's had one in the 80s, but since then. Yeah. There was a kind of a co-ed league as well. Um, that was pretty big. Like my coach in Winnipeg, uh, was in a tournament and Wilt Chamberlain and him were the co-MVPs of the tournament. <laughs> and so that was pretty crazy to have such a superstar in this league. Um, but I don't, I think the, the, 
major issue is that there's a lot of other sports that kind of steal the the spotlight, you know? And not only do they steal the spotlight, because there's more major sports, more of the major athletes go play those sports because there's more money in it and it's higher uh, exposure and just a whole different level, you know? So they are trying. There are a few leagues that are semi-pro or, you know, they're working their way up right now. But um, to get to where, like, the NBA or the NHL or the NFL is, I think that's going to... Or even a European league. Or a European league. I think what's tough about doing that is that the country is so big, both America and Canada, that are you really going to travel, you know, like 2,000 kilometers for one game? Or, like, how is that going to work, you know? So the logistics of that, like, university is already pretty tough. And now when I think back to what we did, like, it was just normal for me. We would just travel, like, fly from... Winnipeg, Vancouver, that's, oh, geez, I don't even know how many kilometers that is, a lot, <laughs> but we would just fly there, play two matches, and then fly home, and we'd stay in a hotel for three nights, and it was four days, and, you know, that just seemed normal then, but now I think, like, wow, that was a lot of money for 14 or 16 people to be doing that every other weekend. Yeah. Um, so, I don't, I don't think that's really feasible for a a pro league to be doing yet. Um, and then there's not too many major cities beside each other, unless you're in kind of the Ontario, Quebec area, um, where you can get a, enough people to make a good enough league for it to be kind of worth it, you know? That makes sense. But with that being said, though, there are leagues or tournaments that kind of happen uh, in Canada and the US right now, and they're trying to build their way up to be the winner get more money more money more money and then more players will want to do that and then you know then it won't just be a few tournaments maybe then they'll have a more kind of league games or something but um, they are working towards that which is really cool to see but i don't know if it'll be in my career time that i'll be able to you know kind of make it worth it financially do you you think the success of beach volleyball has possibly taken away from indoor pro in the U.S.? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Like, beach is one of the fastest growing sports right now, or at least it was two years ago. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think that, if anything, they kind of work off each other, where it just gives good exposure and people enjoy watching beach, and then indoor is also pretty exciting you know so um if you ask me they're they're almost totally different sports but just to anyone they just oh yeah i'm gonna go watch some beach volleyball and then maybe at the olympics they say beach and volleyball and they'll maybe watch both but yeah i think i think if anything they work off each other though though i wouldn't say that one takes away from the other uh because now there's enough people playing both that there's it's a good level i think for for both of them. Have you ever wanted to do beach like on the tour? Not really. Um, I've seen kind of what that involves. Like my sister was on the tour for a year and I don't know if I really enjoy that. A lot of it, like you have to do all the fundraising yourself and get the sponsors yourself. And if you don't win the tournament or go far enough in the tournament, then you lose money. Um, and it's, I think indoor is just better funded, you know, for that. So you can just plan a team, get your salary every month, and then that's, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, you don't have to worry about finding your own coach or paying a coach or uh, running your own practices or anything. You just kind of show up to the gym and, you know, bump and spike and then go home afterwards. <laughs> so um, for me, I'm more of an indoor player, I think. But I used to play a lot of beach during the summers and really enjoyed it. But now it's, I haven't played as much. I think I'm going to play a little bit more this year um, because I'm coming back to Europe in the summer to play in a beach tournament here, a three-on-three tournament. So I'll play a little bit in Winnipeg just to make sure that I don't really 
stink up the court <laughs> when I <laughs> pay my way to come out here. <laughs> yeah. So what what do you do next after volleyball? Do you know yet? No. There's a lot of different different kind of areas that I could go into, whether it be being an agent or coaching or um, maybe just leave volleyball altogether and just, you know, have that as a life experience, but then move on to kind of the real world. Um, but there's too many possibilities and it's too far, I think, from now for it to, to kind of worry about that. Yeah, because you're um, still young. Thank you. <laughs> I feel old. <laughs> you're um, still in your 20s. Yeah, almost not. But um, every time I think about it and try and plan for something, then the next like day, even, it'll be something totally different. So um, I think it's one of those things where I just need to cross that bridge when I get there and kind of not stress or worry about it now. And then... Oh, yeah, there's no point to now. Yeah. And then when the time comes, then I can kind of make a decision and work my way up to, to whatever that is. Cool. Well, let's move on to my final 20 questions. These are, let's go. These are pre, pre-chosen. pre um, Yeah, you need to go to bed because you've been up a long time. Nah, no um, problem. <laughs> okay, so um, they're a little pop culture, random fun. Um, there's a TV show in the U.S. called Inside the Actor's Studio, and I take some from there. Um, so let's start. Okay. Who is who is your first celebrity crush? Uh, I don't know if I've had a celebrity crush to be honest. Um, geez, that's tough. Yeah, we can we can pass. No worries. Let's pass and let's circle back to that maybe at the end. I think I can come up with a good answer, but right now I I got nothing. All right. Um, do you listen to podcasts? Not a whole lot. Sometimes if someone recommends one to me, not a whole bunch. Do you have a favorite? Uh, Joe Rogan's, I think, is is kind of fun because something crazy always happens. Totally. I was, actually, I was actually watching Elon Musk live on that and then when he was smoking the joint and thinking, I wonder if that's not the best idea. And then it came out a few days later, like that everyone was super mad about his decision to do that. And I was like, yeah, well, saw that coming. <laughs> yeah, but he's a billionaire, so, so who cares? <laughs> yeah, I love the guy. I think he's awesome. But, and I don't think it matters at all. Like, it's not like it was illegal, but he yeah. has so much riding on him that they're worried about his productivity, I guess. But I don't think it's an issue. Yeah, he's the boss. He's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you could meet anyone dead or alive, who would it be? <sighs> that's a good one that's tough because I would really like to meet someone like Roger Federer but I'm also kind of into American politics now and so Obama would be pretty cool that would be a good one I would I, would, I might have to go with Obama alright um, if you had a superpower what would it be whew uh time travel what's the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week this week this week uh there's a lot of cool stuff going on um with the space travel and kind of the plans of what they're gonna be doing there um so it'll probably be something to do with that whether it be trips going around the moon or bases being made on the moon um Probably something to do with that. I think I'm really into science altogether, but space is super interesting for me. Do you have a streaming obsession, like something on Netflix or or Amazon that you've watched recently? I don't really stream so much. Uh, I do watch a lot of different TV shows. I don't know if that's going to count for this answer. Oh, yeah. Last Week Tonight is one of my favorites. Blacklist. Suits, Shits Creek. Uh, All right. Yeah, I think those are my favorites. <laughs> That's cool. Which fictional character would you like to meet in real life? Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs>
Tony Stark for sure. T- Tony Stark, absolutely. Because then if- maybe I could steal one of the suits, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Jarvis who doesn't Jarvis is insane that's just like series kid like it's amazing Jarvis yeah. yeah if animals could talk which animal would be the most annoying <laughs> uh well I would definitely I'm definitely gonna have a dog and dogs are always kind of in your face and want attention so if they could talk, I think dogs would probably be the most annoying. Even though I know I might take some heat for this, dogs are my favorite animal, but I think they would probably be also the most annoying. Yeah, I could see that. I know my dog. I I picture him talking. I just picture him swearing all the time. <laughs> so I could see that. Who inspires you? Oof, I have a lot of people on that list, actually. Um, Wanda Gannett was a, a big inspiration for me growing up. She was an openly out uh, volleyball player. She played indoor and beach. And I think being out kind of costed her career by the end. So, um, And she's still playing. So she's a, a big inspiration for me. Uh, I would say my parents and my sister are big inspirations for me. Yeah. And then, of course, Roger Federer. Yeah. Because he, he's just a badass. He's amazing. So. Yeah, <laughs> like he's he's awesome. I, I yeah, I'm a tennis fan. I understand. Oh, <laughs> uh, what is your favorite word? I think most people will think of me going, "Yeah, let's go." <laughs> that's you know, that's four words depending how you count the lets. We'll count um, it one. Yeah, perfect. But that's that's probably like my my catchphrase, I guess. But a single word, or does that, is that okay? That'll work. I feel like I'm I'm not really answering your questions. I'm making them my own question. You know. You know what? Though? That totally works. There's no pass <laughs> or fail on this. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Uh, moist. <laughs> right. I don't know. No, I that's mean, that yeah. works. I'm putting a lot of effort into it. I feel like my answers aren't reflecting how much thought is actually going into them. I went through <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of words there. and I can't say there's a word that's been bugging me, but I think that's a pretty common word that people just don't, don't like. Moist and panties tend to be some of the top Panties, words. yeah, that's a, that's a bad one. Yeah. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Whew. Uh... I really enjoy walking through cities and taking pictures. I think it's really cool to kind of try and look at stuff from a different perspective and try and capture an image um, that encompasses, you know, what you're, what you're seeing and what you're feeling at the time. Uh, and I do that quite a bit here because I'm really in love with the city, so... I would probably say taking pictures and then cool. in a city. Yeah, and the cities in Europe are just so different than they are in, in North America. For um, sure. Just the age of the cities. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, go to, you go to buildings in Europe that are older than Canada or the U.S. For sure. <laughs> I was actually looking at, at houses here. And one of them, I was like, oh, this is a pretty nice house. When, when was it built? 1805. All right. Yeah, that's, that's old. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's, there's a tower here that I've probably taken a thousand pictures of. And the first part of it was built in like the year like 900 or something. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I can't yeah. even fathom how long ago that was. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's just wild. Yeah. What turns you off? Probably negativity. Or like pessimistic views. And people, yeah, that kind of like toxic behavior, you know? Yeah. What you sometimes see on social media, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like 99% of social media. (laughs) What is your... the worst. Yeah, totally. What is your favorite curse word? Well, I think my favorite is Fuddle Duddle because <laughs> I think that's amazing. And I think it was 
Justin Trudeau's dad that coined that because he swore at someone. I, I don't know the full story, but he swore at someone. And then they're like, what did you just say? And he goes, no, I said fuddle duddle. And it became like the, this huge joke. Um, so that's probably one of my favorites, but I don't use it as often as others. That That's cool. What sound or noise do you love? Sound or noise? I'm, I really enjoy the quiet now, I think. I think it's important to kind of have balance in your life where, you know, you're able to kind of just relax and uh, be alone with your thoughts. All right. So maybe no noise. I think that's pretty peaceful. Um, but if it, had, if it had to be a noise, then I would say it would be something. I don't know what it is, if it's a car driving or a horse walking, but on the, like a cobblestone street. You know, I think that's, they have that kind of in the city here, brick roads. And it's, I think, really peaceful to hear things moving on them. Nice. What sound or noise do you hate? What do I hate? Uh, I really don't like when my phone is beeping. <laughs> <laughs> um, I try really hard to keep up uh, contact with a bunch of my friends still in Canada. And so I enjoy talking with them. But when work comes calling and then I get a bunch of emails and messages about stuff and work to do, then that then that's tough. So it's good and bad on the phone, but I think for the most part, um, I have a separate ring for work and a separate ring for personal life. So when I hear that work ring, then that really grinds my gears. Oh, nice. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Probably cosmology. Really? Yeah. Right now I'm going through Stephen Hawking's book and I'm really interested in well, everything, but like how the universe began and like black holes and all that fun stuff. I think that's super interesting. So if I could just switch and not have to put in the work to learn everything, <laughs> 100% cosmology. <laughs> if I have to put in the work, then maybe only like 20% cosmology. All right. What profession would you not like to do? I don't think that refing is that great. I think as, a, as an athlete, we're pretty hard on the refs. And it's kind of a lose-lose situation. You know, you either don't do that great and then people get mad at you. Or you do great and no one notices you. So yeah. I would say that I don't want to be a ref. All right. Um, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Come on in. <laughs> cool. This is the final question. Like I said, this podcast is basically to letting young people know that there are people out there that have been through this, that have gone through it, that have done it. If they have family and friends that support them, they also have athletes that support them. Um, so my question is, what would you tell a 12-year-old boy or girl struggling with their identity? What would you tell them to make it better? I think I would reassure them that they're not the only one going through those issues and that it's a good idea to kind of reach out to either someone you trust or a professional. Um, because talking about it and working through it is a lot better than just kind of staying isolated in your own bubble, you know? And I think it's also really important that you just, one of my other kind of mottos in life is to swing for hands. And what that means is, um, when in volleyball, let's say there's a big block and you, you can't really swing to hit the court. You just hit the ball as high and hard as you can and hope that it hits a finger because if it hits a finger and goes out, then it's a touch and it's your point. You know, so another example would be if you're playing billiards and you just hit the ball as hard as you can and then hope that something goes in. You know, so uh, kind of having that mentality where you just go for it 
and you just give it all you got, I think is a really uh, positive message and not to be afraid to, to go out there and just do it and not to just sit on the sidelines. All right, cool. Thank you. Well, oh, did you want to go back to the celebrity crush? Were you ready or <laughs> oh, yeah, we could just shoot. forget about it? Um, uh, I don't know. I think initially, if I had to pick one, it would be someone like Cameron Diaz or something, which is going to sound weird. But I no, was, I think when I was younger, she was in, was she in The Mask? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I thought she was pretty nice in that. So maybe that would be my first one. But right. now, obviously, it would be quite a bit different. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you. You have been rad. It's been fun to talk to you. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy my chat with Chris. We had fun, and I hope you were entertained and possibly learned something. I want to once again thank Eric Radford for the use of his music Grand Prix. Please tune in next week when my guest is... Andrew Ford. Thank you, and hope you come back.